Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. We're going to be talking today about God's pattern for ministry. God's pattern for ministry. Now, I guarantee you, there's not a single person in here today that's a believer, he or she, that doesn't want to be usable to God. I promise you that. You may not be walking after the Spirit right now, in the Spirit. You may be walking after the flesh, but in your heart of hearts, the, the heart that God gave you in Christ Jesus, that participation in the divine nature, it causes us to want to be usable to God, to be about the desires of God. But here's the question. The question is how? How do I go about it? What's ministry all about, Wayne? Well, today we begin, as Terry has already shared with you, a seven-part series on what we call the seven pillars of ministry. Let me see if I can help you explain, help you understand that. The, the word is, the pillar, it, it's something that holds something else up. Something rests upon these seven pillars. And so, therefore, we have to know what these pillars are if something rests upon them. Everything that we'll do at Hoffmantown when it comes to ministry, missions, whatever, are going to rest on these seven pillars. And I hope it's not just a concept as to where the church is going. My prayer is that each of us will understand anything that God does in and through us rests right here on these seven pillars that we're going to be looking at. These seven pillars define our philosophy of ministry. Now, I hope you understand that there are at least two philosophies of ministry that are very uh, apparent today. One is that philosophy which says, we will do all we can do for Jesus until he comes back, and we'll ask him to bless the process. That's one of the philosophies. How many of you besides me grew up on that philosophy? Anybody else? Thank you for being honest. I grew up that way. But if it's up to you, son, if you don't do it, it'll never get done, as if God somehow is shackled by my unwillingness to obey. Uh, the old hymn, and I have to apologize even before I say it, because it probably wasn't written to irritate me. <laughs> it's just my flesh that gets irritated with it. Got irritated with it when I first heard it, and have been irritated with it ever since. That old song that says, we'll work till Jesus comes, we'll work till Jesus comes. <laughs> Help me. I got so tired of that song. No joy. Just get out there, old boy, and then you better work. You better work, because in heaven you'll find your joy one day, as if salvation's getting us into heaven. Salvation's far more than that. Salvation's getting heaven into us and being able to participate in the divine working of what God is already doing. But there's another philosophy, and that's where we're going to rest. That philosophy flows out of the understanding of living grace. And that living grace, again, you should know it by now, Jesus be Jesus in me, no longer me, but the resurrection power. Fill me this hour. Jesus be Jesus in me. The philosophy which says, I can't do anything for him other than surrender to him and let him do what only he can do through my life. In other words, I get to join 
what he is already doing. And that's where we're headed with these seven pillars and as a church. This last philosophy of ministry is where we will be as a church. We as elders and staff are committed to lead the church, to have an intimate relationship with Christ so that we might be the conduits through whom the life and the work of Christ might flow. We will focus much more on, on, on intimacy with Him than we will be focusing on doing for Him. And sometimes you may think that's an imbalance. And if, if I'm imbalanced anywhere, it'll be right here. Because if I have to err, I'm not going to err on the side of do, do, do. I'm going to err on the side of become. Be what God wants you to be. And if the becoming is what God says it truly should be, then the doing will take care of itself. That's what the book of James is all about. If faith is real, then it will produce the works that it seeks to produce. We, we will seek to daily surrender to him and to his word, knowing that it's only when we're saying yes to him, yielded to him, that we can participate in that which he is doing already on this earth. We will discover in this series from God's word that all ministry no matter where it comes from, or, 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 yeah, it does matter where it comes from, but all ministry, no matter what facet of ministry we're talking about, is not achieved for God, but scripturally, it's received from God. Now, let me get to the message today, and I'll show you that. In fact, this is the passage. It nails it as clearly as any passage we'll look at. In our, in our message today, we have to remember that when you think of ministry— you have to think of three things. First of all is the gift or the ability and the motivation to do whatever it is that needs to be done, the gift. Secondly, the ministry itself, the actual taking part in that which is going on. That's the second part of it, the ministry. And then thirdly, the effect, the eternal effect that that has on the people that are recipients of that ministry, the gift, the ministry, and the effect. And that's what we want to look at in 1 Corinthians 12 because Paul deals with this. Does it come from man? Does man come up with it? Does man come up with the ability to do? Does man come up with the ministry? Does man come up with the effect? And in many people's thinking, they do. Man does. But we're going to see it doesn't. No, God is the one who originates the gift. God's the one who originates the ministry. And God's the one who originates the effect. We'll see without question this in our passage today. True ministry is a supernatural activity. It's not just something you can do, grit your teeth and bear it. It's a supernatural activity. When it originates from God and, and a believer, then the results are going to be eternal. They're going to be felt for all of eternity. Only God can burden a person's heart to minister to somebody else, to do good for that person without any thought of credit of any appreciation from people, applause of men. Only God can cause this to happen. So our first text then is 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. Now I've got to do this because any text without a context is a pretext. <laughs> You're catching that. You don't ever want to get into a text unless you, you wrap it around what, where it comes from so that you know that you're hearing from God's Word. In chapter 3 of, of 1 Corinthians Paul calls them babies. I was sharing with the group last night. When I was at Wilden Park, I had a little, <laughs> it was a little uh, barrel, actually clear container 
of pacifiers. <laughs> I'd gone to Sam's and bought them. It was for adult pacifiers is what it was called. And I kept them in the pulpit. When people would come up and yak, 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 I'd just say, would you take this and go over and suck on this thing for a while? You know, when you come out of the nursery, will you talk to me? Well, the church at Corinth had never come out of the nursery. They had never come out of the nursery. And this is their problem, the indictment of chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3 there. In chapter 5, to show you the results of that kind of thing, there was a man who was sleeping with his father's wife, which was probably his stepmother committing adultery and incest in the same act, and nobody would deal with it as a church. They just let it go. They didn't, didn't want their reputation to be harmed by knowing that somebody in that midst was doing it. In chapter 6, they were suing each other over money at the drop of a hat. Can you imagine two believers suing each other over money when we're going to walk on streets of gold? And that really got Paul's attention, and he wrote that sixth chapter to address that. The seventh chapter, they thought that physical intimacy in marriage was sinful. This is how far off center they had gotten. And Paul sort of says, good grief, people. And it took him a whole chapter to work the family out there in chapter 7. In chapter 8 through 10, they were eating meat sacrificed to idols, and they were using their liberty in Christ to walk all over the weaker brother who didn't understand. In chapter 11, they were desecrating the Lord's Supper. It was a shame what they were doing to it. In chapter 12, they thought that anything that was emotional and experiential must be uh, spiritual. In chapter 13, it's not a chapter on love, really. It's a rebuke to a church that had no idea what Christianity was all about. And then in chapter 14, not only was their practice of speaking in an unknown tongue wrong, their whole premise was wrong. It wasn't for believers, it was for unbelievers. In chapter 15, they didn't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And in chapter 16, he closes the book. <laughs> Wonderful study. <laughs> if you lived in Corinth, you would not want to join this church. Totally upside-down church. So in 1 Corinthians 12, he's not teaching gifts. He's correcting error. And in, verses, in verse 1, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of spiritual things. Not spiritual gifts. That's written in italics. Pneumaticos. I don't want you to be ignorant when it comes to spiritual matters. In the words in the present tense, I don't want you to continue to be ignorant in, when, it, when it comes to spiritual matters. With that mindset, he, had, he comes into verse 4 through 6. He wants to show them the same thing God wants to show us today. That ministry is not something we come up with in a committee and ask God to bless. Ministry only comes out of a life that's lived in intimacy with Him, in surrender and yieldedness to Christ. Ministry is what He does through us. We can join Him in what He's doing when we're willing to say yes to Him in our everyday life. Verse 4 through 6, He says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, let's look into this context and see uh, this pattern of ministry. Let's see where the gifts come from, where the ministries come from, where the effects come from. Let's just see some principles that will help us as we want to be usable to God. What is it? We, you see, the, the key is intimacy with Christ daily, moment by moment, in order that true ministry can happen in our lives. If we're not getting to know Him through His Word and walk with Him, then ministry is something that's a foreign language to our experience. 
at least five principles that we want to share today in this message, and hopefully it'll be a blessing to your heart. First of all, Paul shows us that all ministry is, originates from God. All ministry originates from God, and there's no question about it. And I'll show you that in a second. It's interesting how the Apostle Paul, with a lot of grace, gently moves these people to thinking sanely in this insane world in which we live. You see, the, the Corinthians were focused on man, and they weren't focused on God. We know that from the text. If you've studied the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, they talk about man's wisdom and man's ways, and Paul has to come against that. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1.11, he says, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this, he says, that each one of you is saying, I'm of Paul. And then others are saying, I'm of Apollos. And others are saying, and I'm of Cephas. And then there's the worst group, I'm of Christ. You think, you think that would be the best group. But no, they're like that group in heaven when Peter's walking around with us in heaven. And he says, be real quiet. Shh. There's a group over here that thinks they're the only ones up here. Yeah, I was the ones here in this group. But the whole thing was they were about men. They were men pleasers. They were men followers. They worshiped the wisdom of men. Therefore, they were all about what men could do, and they were enamored with it. But they were not about what God could and wanted to do in their lives. Now, in verse 4 through 6, to get into this really deeply, he contrasts two words. You've got to see that right away. The word varieties and the word same. He uses it in all three verses. He says in verse 4, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Now that word varieties is the word diaeresis. It has to do with the way something is divided up. Like if when you put something into categories or cutting a piece of pie and you give this smaller piece to this one and this bigger piece to somebody else, it has a way in, in which it's cut up or distributed. The word, uh, for instance, for many people, at first glance, they think it's talking about the fact that the gifts are different, varieties of gifts, or the ministries are different, and, and the effects are different. And, and they are, but that's not what the Word is talking about. It's only used two times in the whole New Testament. The second time it's used is down in verse 11, and it's talking about how they're distributed, not how, not how that they're different. We'll, we'll address that in a minute, but how they're distributed. What it's talking about is that God does not give the gifts and the ministries and effects like man would give them. If you told me today that I had the power to give everybody in here the gifts, I would make sure that every single person had exactly the same amount of gifts. I don't want anybody to go lacking. But that's not the way God did it. For instance, the verb form is found in verse 11. Dia irio. It means to distribute. And it's in the present tense. Look, look at verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all of these things, look now, distributing, that's the best translation of that word, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. So in other words, it's, it's totally at the prerogative of, of the Spirit that gives the gifts, the, the Lord Jesus that gives the ministry, the, the Father that gives the effect. It's totally at their prerogative as to how they choose to do that. It may not be the same and rarely is the same from person to person. You say, why would he bring this up in Corinthians? 
Because in Corinth, they were jealous over the gifts they thought were the greater gifts. And as a result of that, they were overlooking the other gifts who were just as important to the body. And the Apostle Paul is trying to say, what are you doing? You know, it's interesting to me how when we get our eyes off of the giver and we put them on the gift and the ministry and the effect, what happens is we become jealous of gifts or ministries or effects. But when we have our eye on the giver, I'm just glad to have a slice of the pie. What about you? Anything less than hell is grace in our life. But when we get our eyes off of the giver, that now all of a sudden floats out the window. Suddenly we're jealous of this gift or that gift or this ministry and that ministry. What Paul is trying to do here is to take these carnal-minded, fleshly-minded Corinthian believers, get their eyes off of men and what men can do and what happens to men, and get their eyes back on the Lord Jesus. They were attached to men. They were not attached to Christ. And he's trying to bring them back to what normal Christianity really is. Well, individual believers can get caught up when they're, when they're looking at men and not looking at the giver. They can get caught up in being jealous of other people's gifts or their ministry or their effect. Besides me, has anybody else ever had a jealousy in your heart that you didn't get gifted just like somebody else? <laughs> so a lot of you are honest this morning. Some of you just need to get honest, get a life. I've done it. Dr. Stephen Olford that I love so much is in heaven rejoicing, and heaven is sweeter, but the earth has a big hole in it now since he's left us. I had to speak with him several times. I've probably spoken with him 15 or 16 times. But the first time they ever put me with him scared me half to death. They were going to let him speak first and me speak second. What? He's the greatest preacher I've ever heard. He was the Apostle Paul of our day. Don't put me behind him. Put me first. And then everybody will truly appreciate him when they hear him. I began to realize why they used to put me with him anyway. When Dr. Ofer would get up and preach, every preacher and everybody there that wanted to aspire to what God had called them to do said to themselves, I can't do that. And then they'd have me come up, and then they'd say, yeah, I can. <laughs> Wayne can do it. Anybody can do it. He was the prince of preachers. We were at a men's conference at, at, at the Precept Ministries, about 450 men there from about 27 different states. And I'm supposed to go second, and I'm sitting back in the back looking down over the group sweating. And he gets up and starts preaching, and oh, my goodness, how he literates every text and how he, he just a glow on him, and it's just something so spiritual about him. And I'm watching him thinking, what am I doing here? And God brought my eyes down to the group. And I looked about three rows down. The old boy from Knoxville, Tennessee, had some uh, intestinal problems. He had a colostomy, and, and he chewed tobacco and deer hunted. And he's just there because he liked me because I deer hunt. I've been doing this conference for 15 years. A lot of camaraderie had built, built them over the years. And I looked down here and saw another. And I watched all these good old redneck boys. <laughs> and I watched them watch Dr. Ofer, and they were sitting there going, Golly. What's he saying? And then I looked at the rest of the group, and, man, they were taking notes, tears streaming down their face. God was so ministering to them. And it was like God said to me, Wayne, don't you ever, don't you ever think that you need to have somebody else's gift or be somebody else. Wayne, there are people in this room that he can't touch. I can't get them through him, but I can get them through you. Now, when you get up, you do what I tell you to do. You just be who you are, full of Jesus, and that's all I've called you to be. And that's what Paul's trying to tell these Corinthians. 
Quit being jealous of somebody else's gift. Quit being jealous of somebody else's ministry. Quit being jealous of somebody else's effect. Just be who you are, satisfied with Jesus, letting Jesus be Jesus in you. Let God work through you what he's chosen to work through you. If you've got a little piece of the pie, that's fine. If you've got a big piece of the pie, hey, he that has given much, much is what? Required. Maybe you've got a little piece. Thank God for the little piece. He's going to hold them accountable, all of us accountable for that. Well, not only do individuals get caught up in this, but churches get caught up in this. I think the biggest problem in churches today in America is a little phrase called the mega church. And as a result of it, because of numbers and because of bigness, you've got little bitty churches, places that are just dying because they can't be what that big church is. And it's driven by numbers. And it feeds an ego in many situations. And to me, churches are supposed to be what God wants them to be where they are, just full of Jesus. And if that's big, it's big. If it's small, it's small. It doesn't mean one's right and one's wrong. When I was at First Baptist Church of Lexington, Mississippi, <laughs> land of the Philistines, I was there two and a half years going on the 17. Oh, there's some dear friends there, but whew, tough times. And they had a board on the front of the church. Now, some of y'all remember this. Last night, I was surprised at how many people remembered it and had been around it. And this board had on it, and you'll recognize it, number on roll, number attending today, budget required, budget offering today, budget offering last week. And they had a little board. How many of you have ever remembered that? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah. I figured this crowd, everybody would know what I was talking about. <laughs> Man, I tell you, I went to a deacon's meeting. You see, I was in a town that you couldn't really grow numerically because there wasn't enough people to go around. There was only 2,900 people in the whole place. The Presbyterian Church, the Methodist Church, <laughs> our church, and the Episcopalian Church were all pretty much the same size. And so they, they, they went to church as if they were in a league or something. Like this is the <laughs> Southern League, and you have to win your division in order to play for the World Series. And so every Sunday they'd come to church and they'd look at that board. Oh, man, we're down 10. I believe we're going to lose to the Presbyterians today. Oh, man, I wish that whole family hadn't gotten sick because we're in trouble. And they'd come home after church, and the first thing they'd do is call their friends. They all everybody knew each other. And they'd call over to Episcopalian church friends. How many did y'all have today? And we had 252. Oh, you did. Uh, and you'd, and if, you, if you had less than that, you'd hang up. But if you had more than that, you just kept talking until they asked you how many you had. How many did you have? 275. Oh, God's with us. He's not with you. And it got to be where we began to measure things by that stupid board. Well, I went to a deacon's meeting, and I said, guys, listen. We need to get rid of that board because it's not a true measurement of what God's doing. And you'd have thought I'd shot the sacred cow. <laughs> what do you mean? That came over on the ark. It's even the same color as the walls of the church. You can't take that thing down. Well, since I couldn't get it that way, <laughs> y'all just don't realize what you got for a pastor. I, I, uh, I, I came up with a scheme, and they never caught me. Not one time. They knew I did it, but they couldn't catch me. I'd go in and change that board every week. And they'd come out of their Sunday school classes, and they'd come in and look at that board, see how we did. Did we beat the Presbyterians today? Did we beat? And they'd look up there, and I'd have a number on roll, 275. I can't remember the number. Number attending today, four. 
And then it said, budget required. I think we back in those days, $1,200 a week. That's a whole lot. Can you imagine where we are today? $1,200 a week. Budget received, $1,432,522. I mean, and they would get livid. You see, they didn't have anything to talk about. Then they maybe had to listen to the message for a change. It's incredible. Churches get involved in that. Oh, you must be a spiritual church because you're big. Not necessarily. God's not impressed with numbers. He's impressed with hearts that love him. Well, ministries get involved in it. Ministries with this wrong thinking that they have to compete and, and everything's measured by bigness and numbers and dollars. It, it can happen easily. What Paul is saying, would you quit doing that? Would you just be what I want you to be? Would you just get I mean, what God wants you to be? Would you just get your eyes back on the giver and let the giver be who he is in your life? And if that's small, thank him for it every day. If that's big, thank him for it every day. Just be the piece of pie God orchestrated for you to be. Well, the spirit who gives the gifts, you see, is the same. Now, there are varieties of gifts, ministries, and effects, and God doesn't distribute them the same way. But the spirit that gives them, he is the same. His character never changes. He loves us just the same. You see, anything short of hell is grace, as we said a moment ago. So whatever he's given to me is out of his beautiful love for me and out of his divine understanding of me and of you and of all of us here today. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body. How? Just as he desired. It's all his business. And then it says in verse 11, but one in the same spirit, as we read a moment ago, works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So I guess the question would have to be to all of us today, who do we think we are when we seek to tell God what we're going to do for him and then ask him to bless it as if it comes from us and not him? There is no gift. There is no ministry. There is no effect without him. And he and he alone determines all of these. So all ministry originates from God. Secondly, unless love is present, there is no ministry. I have, there's a lot of people who say they're doing a lot of great things for God, but there's just no love there whatsoever. The love is the key. The love is the clue. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now, wait a minute. Let's talk about the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God that's, that gives the gifts. And they are different. As we'll see in a moment, they're multicolored. It's kind of like I have a shirt on today, and it's, I guess it's one fabric. <laughs> they're mixed, they mix them up so much. Let's just say it's one fabric. But it's one color. It's pretty bland. Looking out amongst you, you, you have some very creative clothing on today. <laughs> and some of yours is the same fabric, but multicolored. Same fabric. The Holy Spirit's the fabric. The colors, however, in there are different. Now, if, you're, if you want to talk about how the gifts are different, this is where you look at that. For instance, you say, Wayne, what are you talking about? Look over at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, and I'll show you. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, he says it very clearly. He's talking about gifts. He says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. That's what gifts are for. As good stewards of the, and it's translated, manifold grace of God. But I hate to tell you, that's not, I don't know why they translate it that way. Maybe it meant something uh, different in that day. I don't know. But the word is pekilos. It means multicolored 
grace of God. That's beautiful. Just like our trials are color-coded, the wisdom of God is color-coded, used over in Ephesians, so are our gifts. They're color-coded. They're different. They're different. Oh, could I give some exp- illustrations of the fact of the, uh, that they're different? <laughs> Big time. Diana has the gift of mercy. Y'all know Diana. She's mercy from her head to the end of her toes. I believe God puts some mercy in me somewhere. But, I mean, with her, it's just total mercy. That's gotten us into more trouble. Uh, one day, I, we were going to the staff to have an ice cream fellowship after church. <laughs> and uh, we pulled up to this place, and I was supposed to get a gallon of ice cream, and I was doing my duty. I, I pulled up to get that gallon of ice cream. And I came back, got in the car, and Diana said, you can't leave. And I said, why? And very sweetly, she said, Wayne, there's a little man standing at that counter, and he knows who you are. And you walked right by him and didn't even speak to him. And bless his heart, he's hurting right now because he's an alcoholic. He, I don't think he knows the Lord. I said, Diana, who are you talking about? She said, you know, he bulldozed our yard. Well, when I moved out in the county, we had a garden in the back of the house we bought. And I said, bulldoze it, put grass in it. I don't want a garden. <laughs> and uh, so he came and bulldozed it. But I had never seen him. She thought I had seen him. I'd never seen him. I didn't know who he was. And here she is. She says, Wayne, he's hurting. you got to go in and speak to him. And I said, <laughs> Diana, which one are you talking about? Are you talking about that guy right there where she was not looking the direction I was pointing? She was looking over here. I'm pointing right here at the wrong person. And I said, is that the one you're talking about? And she wasn't watching me, and she said, yes, that's him. Oh, me. I walked in that place, and this guy's standing there, and I said, hey, man, how you doing? I towered over him, you know. And he said, huh? I said, you don't know me, do you? He said, no, I don't think so. I said, man, you ought to. You bulldozed my yard. Well, the look on his face, (laughs) I knew he had never been on a bulldozer in his life. And I could tell I had the wrong person. I felt so stupid standing there talking. And I said, well, whether you did or whether you didn't, sure was good to see you. And I got out of there. I got in the car, and Diana said, you got to go back. I said, I am not going back. We pulled out. I'm telling you, that gift of mercy. We'd be on a plane, and if you were sick, she'd get sick with you. You die, she'll die with you. It's incredible. Went into a hospital room one day, and it was Kessler. She'd been in there three weeks. And when we walked in, she started groaning. I'm thinking, now, wait a minute. I picked up on that. She's riding this thing as far as she can ride. She wasn't groaning before we walked in there. And I, I walked over, and I said, Miss Kessler, get up out of that bed and get out of here. You got other people want this thing. You've been in it three weeks. Dinah's, no, 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 she was saying. And she went over and fluffed her little pillow and got her little glass and put the straw in her mouth and patted her cheeks and said, are you okay, Miss Kessler? As if to say, don't pay any attention to him. I kept saying, get, you know. So we got out of the room. And then we started laughing. You know what we started laughing about? She said, why did you do that? I said, well, why did you do that? And it dawned on us two different gifts. Now, hear what I'm saying, folks. Working together, and she needed both of us because she checked out the next day. But you see, gifts are different. Gifts are different. I've got a ton of stories I could tell you for another time. It's so important to realize that the Spirit is the same. The same spirit that gave Dinah the gift of mercy and did not give it to me, but gave me the gift of exhortation and teaching. The same spirit is the fabric 
But he didn't give the gifts the same color. So often in our church, we, we have people who say, this is wrong and this is wrong, and, but they're beautiful people and they're walking with God. They're seeing through their strength. And anytime God allows you to see through your strength, usually he wants you to be the solution to whatever it is he's been faithful enough to reveal as the problem. But the gifts are different. But now where am I going with this? You say, Wayne, what's this got to do with love? <laughs> well, if the fabric of the, of the gifts is the Spirit of God, my friend, he's also the producer of the love, the fruit. And he cannot ever act apart from any of his attributes. If he gives the gifts and the divine ability to trust God in those gifts, then he also gives the fruit, which is the wrapping to that gift. He's the same spirit. And when a person is ministering and there's no love in him, when a person is ministering and there's no caring for other people, they walk all over everybody else, there's no ministry being accomplished. It's just whatever they've come up with in a religious mindset and have asked God to bless. The love is the key. You can fake all of the gifts, but you can't fake the love. That's what God produces, and that's what motivates others to be drawn to us. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit who gives the gifts, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there's no law. And the key to that whole verse is that first word, love. Everything else in it characterizes that love in relationships. When are we going to understand that God's not impressed with a good idea we offer to Him? But God already has the idea. And as we bow before him and say yes to him and to his will, and that does not mean perfection. That means when I sin, I run to the cross, I confess, and I choose to, to trust him. That, that's all built into it. But when I'm willing to live predictably that way, then I can get in touch with what he truly is doing. And then he as a con uses me just as a conduit to touch other people. And it'll be different because the gifts are different. It'll be framed according to the individual gifts he's given to each person. What is it that's causing the division in most churches today? It's not the fruit. It's the what? It's the gifts. It's causing division like you wouldn't believe. Some of you may even get irritated with me this morning because you have another thought about the gifts. I'm telling you. I don't care what a person tells me his gift is. We've made it much too important. The key is where's the fruit? And are we attached to the giver and not just the gift. God's love does not divide the body, it unites it. So all ministry originates from God. Without the love produced by the Spirit, then there is no ministry. No matter what we think we're doing, it's not ministry because He's the fabric of the gifts, but He's also the producer of the fruit. Thirdly, ministry is not for our benefit. It's not for our benefit. Verse 5, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Now the word Lord here is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. In a context, when you have the Spirit and the Lord and God mentioned all together, you're talking about the Trinity. We'll see God the Father in a moment. So interesting how the whole Trinity is involved in what goes on down here on earth. Spirit giving the gift, the Lord Jesus giving the ministry, and the Father taking care of the effect, as we'll see. The word ministries in verse 5 tells the whole story. The word is diakonia, diakonia. We get the word deacon from it. It means to serve others no matter what it costs me is the idea of the word. This word was never translated into English. 
it was transliterated, which means they took a word and made a word out of it. That's convenient. Because when the Bible was put into English, the powerful church at that time had deacons as high offices of power who made decisions for the whole body, which is never in Scripture. And so they didn't translate the word for fear of getting their heads translated. They transliterated the word and made a word out of a word. Can I shine your shoes? I mean, your grass looks like it needs cutting. Can I help you? Uh, is there anything I can do for you? That's the word, diakonos. And so ministry at its very heart is for the benefit of others. I mean, it wouldn't even be there if it was for our own benefit. It's always, what can I do for you? Never for my own benefit. Ministry uh, is something that has the heart of God in it. Jesus, who initiates all ministry, who lives in us, was the greatest servant of all. And it says over in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's, that's the heart of ministry because it's his heart in us. The greatest minister, the greatest servant is the one who patterns this for us in our life. Verse 7 really senses it, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man for the common good. One translation says, for the profiting with all. So everybody is blessed by it. It's not for somebody's own personal edification. True ministry does not allow hidden agendas. True ministry does not allow self-gratification to be figured into it. Uh, when we make the mistake that the Corinthians made, that then gifts, ministries, and effects becomes all about us, not about others. Now, by the way, I love drama when it's done right. We have a guy in our church, and I don't know what service he'll be in, Gregory Elder. <laughs> God has got his hand all over this young man. You're going to see him from time to time in the services we're going to be doing here. True scriptural, biblical drama that helps enhance and bring out what you're saying. I don't have any trouble with that at all. But what I do have trouble with are people that bring drama into the church for their own self-gratification. And they get a bigger kick out of making people laugh than they do edifying and lifting up the Lord Jesus. We had that in Chattanooga in the early years. And there's a group of about 16 of them, and they wanted to have a drama ministry. Well, I've, I've never had any trouble with that, as long as it doesn't contradict what we're doing in the pulpit. Don't do it while I preach. <laughs> well, it just got to where it was going nowhere. I mean, you could turn on the television set. They could be on it. You wouldn't even know it was Christian. So I called them all aside, and I said, hey, guys, we're going to have to shut this down. Something's all wrong. It's, it doesn't, in my spirit, it doesn't, doesn't resonate there. And you know what they said to me? Oh, that's okay. We'll just take our group and go to some other church and do it. Now, what have they just told me? What they were doing calling ministry was for their own personal gratification. It was not under the accountability and lordship of Christ. Because, you see, when God tells me to stop preaching, I'm going to sit down. I'm not going to keep standing up because I get a gratification out of doing what I'm doing. We've got to remember something. Joy is not in what you do. Joy is in who he is. And the very moment we start fighting for what we can do, look out. You're missing the point. If it's received, then where he guides, he provides. Where he puts a burden for, for a desire, he gives an opportunity as a door. So all ministry originates with God. There is no ministry without the love, whatever people call it. And ministry is not for us. It's for the benefit of others. And fourthly, we cannot measure the results of ministry. We tapped on that a while ago. Let's look at it a little further. There's always an eternal effect when God, through the gift, 
gives a ministry to other people. There's always an eternal effect, always. And God's the one who determines that. Verse 6, and there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. You see, only the Father knows what the effect is going to be. The word effects is the word enigma, enigma. The little ma at the end of it means actually, it it means to energize, but the little ma tells you something else. It's the actual result of what God has energized and empowered in a person's life. And only the Father knows what that actual result is going to be. The effects of all gifts that truly come from the Spirit and minister to others are energized by God the Father. And therefore, He determines how it's measured. And it won't be measured here on earth. When we allow God the Father the prerogative of doing what only He can do, only He knows the eternal effect. And I'll tell you what, give you a proof text. Ask Stephen in the New Testament in Acts and ask Peter if they could say amen to that. Stephen preached the same sermon Peter preached, and they stoned Stephen to death. But Peter saw 5,000 come to know Christ. Of course, Stephen was a whole lot better off because he got to go see Jesus. But I I bet you right before he got there, he's saying, do what? (laughs) Wait a minute. The effects are going to be different, and their effects are going to be what he chooses. He's in control. Verse 6 again. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works. Now watch. All things in all persons. The term all things in all persons is in italics. Why? Because he uses it again at the end of the chapter to refer to the fact that he's not just in control of persons, he's in control of everything. God's in control of everything that's going on in this world, but he's especially in control of the believer and the effects of what he chooses to do, that God chooses to do in the life of that believer. There's a tendency that we always have of measuring everything that we do. And I'm telling you, when you're hung up in gift, ministry, and effects, it'll be numbers and noses and nickels. That'll be the kind of way we'll measure everything that goes on. And I hate to tell you, but that's not the way God does it. Not the way God does it. Roy Hessian that's written many books. But he said to me one day, he said, Wayne, let me ask you a question. I said, okay, Brother Roy, you can ask me anything. I don't know if I can answer it. He says, you're preaching the same message over here that I'm preaching over in England. But we're losing people and you're gaining them. Which one of us is doing it right? Folks, we've got to get out of this world mentality of thinking you can measure everything God does. You can't measure everything. Ask Dory Van Stone, who was here for our Equip Conference. Eight years, never saw a convert. Twenty-three years later, finally found out that the, the seed that was planted deeply and watered was finally now God had given the harvest, and 250,000 believers had come as a result of her work. Twenty-three years later. You see, God's not on our timetable. We don't have a watch. Says, oh, my, the way, I better do something by 3 o'clock because Wayne, we're going to get upset. As a matter of fact, I can't find in Scripture anywhere where he says, Wayne, I'm struggling up here. Can you give me your opinion on what I need to do? It's incredible how much we think of ourselves. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he says, Let not a man think more highly of himself than he ought to think. i tell you what it does to me, and I don't know how it affects you at all. What affects me is every day when I drive home and when I go through the day, It overwhelms me that God would give me even the time of day. I'm telling you, if you knew knew me and my flesh and how wicked it is, 
and how every day I am desperate for God to replace me and overcome me. Oh, Brother Wayne, we didn't know you was that way. <laughs> we wouldn't have called you. Well, if I'd have known what's going on out of here, I probably wouldn't have come. <laughs> hey, call off that altar of pride and say, let's get God honest here. God says, you think I needed your intelligence to bring you into the kingdom? You think I needed your creativity? I don't need anything about you except your surrender because I didn't come to make you better. I came to replace you. And I tell you, the older we get, I can say it to this crowd. Some of these other crowds haven't got a clue, have they? They, they haven't even had reflux yet. They don't even know what's ahead of them, do they? But I can say it to this crowd, Cana. The older we get, the more we become conscious of our desperate need for him in our life. And the more this message of grace and the sweetness and the kindness and the love of God means to us. When I was in my 30s, I from time to time needed it. I needed it every day. Finally, the last point. True ministry unifies the body. If you find division in the body, you haven't got true ministry. Because true ministry draws people together and to Christ. There's a wonderful ending to all of this. When God's in full control, then the gifts and the ministry through those gifts to others and the eternal effect, it just brings the body together. And by the way, I'm so encouraged to see that happening right here at Hoffmantown. It blesses my socks off. It's fun to get out of bed in the morning. I'm seeing God move. I'm seeing the church come together. just want you to know that. Verse 7 says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The word manifestation, phanerosis, has the idea of being able to see something. I mean clearly. How do you know the gifts are working? Somebody asked me the other day in another setting. They said, Wayne, do you think that we really need to know our gift? And I'm going to answer that. Not really. I think it's helpful to some degree. But I think we have put so much focus on gifts, ministry, and effect, we have completely taken our focus off of the giver. And if we were walking and saying yes to him moment by moment, ministry would be flowing like a river that we could hardly stay in its current. But we have so somehow made it about us instead of about him. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. The word is a Greek word, simphero. It means uh, seen, it means together. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Only God can do this. And Pharaoh means to bring, to bring people into a oneness, not only with themselves, but first of all with God. And when that unity of the Spirit is there that he talks about in Ephesians, when that spiritual fellowship is there that he talks about in Philippians, the people of God come together. And there's not all this garbage that goes on. It's beautiful what happened. The aura of the Holy Spirit is a sweet fragrance unto the Father. And people can sense it when they walk in a place. They can sense the power of the Holy Spirit. My prayer is before I die, hopefully one day I'll get to see it, that this church will be a church that's not about themselves, but so much about God that we would do whatever he says in a given second. We'd be a reflex of what he wants us to be down the road. Well, when we focus on the giver, that's what happens. But as if to drive his point home, Paul does something here that he doesn't do in any other context of gifts. When he says, but to each one is given, it's interesting. It's in the present passive voice. You see, every other place you look at it is, they've already been given that at the time of salvation. But what he's saying here is, 
No, he's, he's continuing to choose how he gives the ministry the effect, the gift. And what he's saying is he's in control of it. I don't go someplace and hang a sign on my door. This is my gift, and I have it and can enact it at any time. No, sir. What he's saying is this gift is never active until my heart is surrendered to him in an abandonment to him and to his will. Therefore, we must be surrendered to him at all times. One of the things that's already blessing me here, and I'm going to have to quit. I'm standing out there in the fellowship mall and services I get there. Sometimes I can't get past here, but when I get out there, I'm trying to get out there every service to just meet people. I keep hearing people say, man, this church is so ministered to me. And I'm thinking, well, what happened? Well, my son, my husband, my whatever was in the hospital, and I didn't even know about it. And they said, but the people have overwhelmed me with love. That's when the Spirit of God is moving. It's not about a preacher. It's about a God who lives in all of the people here. We're all ministers when we say yes to God. And when the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. The Spirit is free through the giftedness of people to affect the ministry and effect that only God can do. You want to be usable to God? Then don't look at ministry and don't look at gifts and don't look at effects. Go to the giver, get your word out, and get to know him. And learn to say yes to him. And ministry and effects and even gifts will take care of themselves. They'll flow right out of you like a river. Be careful. Be careful when you start defending ministry and beating up people because of effects. Be careful. Because when God's doing it, he draws people together. He doesn't divide them. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.